That's the, that's the message today. The word for today is urgency, and the message is Jesus is real, and we can't stop talking about him. Because his incredible life is, is given to us by credible witnesses, and his incredible book, the Bible, is credible. So to get us started, grab the Pew Bible. We're not going to read in it that much, but I want you to find Second Peter. It, and I'm not just going to tell you, go find Second Peter, but it's on page 1205 of the Pew Bible. If you have a phone and you've got your Bible on the phone, you'd rather work with that, just look at that. But when you get to page 1205, I want you to notice this is not a very big book. It's only three pages long. You wish some sermons were like that, right? Dear Christian friends, just keep looking at that. It's three pages long. We're going to get to it. Meteorologists, those guys and gals that tell us what the weather's going to be, they know among them in their community that we have a hard time believing them. They're well aware of that. And there, there are papers written for them to study about the phenomenon of people not believing their predictions that a storm is coming. Uh, and I don't know all the reasons why you may doubt a meteorologist, but frankly, it just seems like sometimes they're so, uh, the, the weather's getting so average, if there's just a little bleep of a change, they want to hype it up like something huge is going to happen. You might remember a couple of winters back when all the schools in Austin, Round Rock, all the suburbs had to close because we might get some precipitation tomorrow that would be freezing, and we didn't. And so everybody got a snow day when there was no sunshine, and it was, got up to 45 that day. Uh, after a little bit of that happening in your life, you get kind of skeptical. Meteorologists know that nobody probably knew it more than a guy named Robert Ricks. I'm sure you haven't heard of him, or if you have, you've forgotten. But I'm going to tell you about him for briefly because it's his, little, his story is important for what we're talking about today. Robert Ricks was a meteorologist that served the New Orleans area in 2005 and people have a hard time believing meteorologists and he knew that Katrina not this Katrina Wardell but Katrina the hurricane was going to slam into New Orleans with an amazing fury and today in the meteorological circles they still talk about his press release that made it to that computer voice that went out across TV and across radio and any other airwaves they could find to warn about Katrina because they say his release was the most grave release that's ever been, been out in, in their circles given to a population. And he was trying to get over the wall that people put up when they don't want to listen to meteorologists to save lives. So imagine that computer-generated voice that you've heard, right, after the long screeching beep. Urgent weather message, National Weather Service, New Orleans, Louisiana, 10, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, Sunday, August 28, 2005. Devastating damage expected. Hurricane Katrina, a most powerful hurricane with unprecedented strength, rivaling the intensity of Hurricane Camille of 1969. Most of the area will be uninhabitable for weeks, perhaps longer. At least one half of the well-constructed homes will have roof and wall failure. All gabled roofs will fail. 
leaving those homes severely damaged or destroyed. The majority of industrial buildings will become non-functional. Partial to complete wall and roof failure is expected. All wood-framed, low-rise apartment buildings will be destroyed. Concrete block low-rise apartments will sustain major damage, including some wall and roof failure. High-rise office and apartment buildings will sway dangerously, a few to the point of total collapse. All windows will be blown out. Airborne debris will be widespread and may include heavy items such as household appliances and even light vehicles. Sport utility vehicles and light trucks will be blown. The blowing debris will create additional destruction. Persons, pets, and livestock exposed to the winds will face certain death if struck. Power outages will last for weeks as most power poles will be down and transformers destroyed. Water shortages will make human suffering incredible by modern standards. The vast majority of native trees will be snapped and uprooted. Only the hardiest will remain, but they will be defoliated. Few crops will remain. Livestock left exposed to the winds will be killed. An inland hurricane wind warning is issued when sustaining stained winds are near hurricane force or frequent gusts at or above hurricane force. We are certain that within the next 12 to 24 hours, we will have hurricane force winds. Once tropical storm and hurricane force winds onset, do not go outside. That's it. What's Robert Ricks trying to do? Save you and get you out of New Orleans and make you believe it's time to get up and go. 1,800 people didn't believe him because they stayed and died. That's a lot of people. But a whole lot more believed his message and they were saved. The emotions behind Robert Rick's appeal, the feeling of, of truth driving him to say what had to be said for the salvation of human life is the very thing that drove Peter to write that little book you're holding in your lap, Second Peter. It was about salvation, not from a hurricane, but from the moment when you stand before God at the end of your life and you give an account It was about the end of the world for Peter when all people will stand before God and give an account. Peter was told, he tells us, I'm not going to read that part of this letter, but he tells us, Jesus has told me I am going to die soon. It's in the first chapter right before what I'm about to go over with you that's in your folder and going to be on the screen. Jesus told me I'm going to soon die. Peter did die Soon after this, at the hands of the Romans, they crucified him upside down. Because Jesus forewarned him, Peter sat down to write a a, a release like Robert Ricks. And it's 2 Peter. And in Peter's mind, the whole time that he's writing is judgment day is coming. And the guy that's going to judge everyone is the Jesus that I walked with. Judgment day is coming, and the guy that's going to judge everyone is the Jesus that I walked with. And that Jesus saved everyone. There is a way out. It's the love of God in Christ Jesus who put him on the cross for all of their sins. But judgment is coming. And people were being skeptical. So you can sense throughout the letter that he is waging war on that skepticism that would make you stay in unbelief. 
And he's going to work on your heart today because you have skepticism that can make lull you into not being quite sure if Jesus is really the God who saves and to whom we must give an account. And Peter is saying he really is, so he doesn't lose you. And then he's going to lead you to help other people realize that too. So let's look at it. We'll put it on the screen. We'll uh, have it in the folder here. This is Peter's first paragraph. It's from chapter 1. When he says the word we in this little section, he's talking about the apostles, the 12 guys. Judas is gone. Paul has joined them by this time, by the way. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Think about all the stories from Jesus' life. And when I read this next verse, tell me which story you think this is. Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. They heard that voice in the courts of Jerusalem when, when he was walking around two weeks before he died. They heard that voice at Jesus' baptism, and they heard it at another time. Which story is this one, you think? The what? Yeah, we call it the transfiguration because in, our, in the story it says he was changed or transfigured. It was only a few weeks before Jesus went to the cross. He only took three of the twelve, and they were Peter. James and John, and they went up on a high mountain with him. And for the first time in their whole lives being with Jesus, they saw the glory of his deity. They experienced it. They saw him heal people. They felt only God could do that. But they saw the being of his deity glowing bright. And how did it affect them? They thought they were being judged. Or they were afraid it might happen. It felt like judgment day to them. There weren't any bushes to hide behind. They laid on the ground, faces to the ground, to hide the front of them in their eyes as if it would just, you know, somehow the judgment would pass. And it wasn't until the voice said what it said, and then that was the Father in heaven, and Jesus came back to just being, showing his humanity, and he touched him on the shoulder and said, get up, don't, don't be afraid. Life-changing event right before the cross and the resurrection on Easter, and then the 40 days, and then the ascension into heaven. And so when Peter's late in his life in this little letter and he's saying, I'm about to die, I need you to know about Jesus. We didn't follow clever stories. He says, we talked, the whole letter for Second Peter is about the second coming, that Jesus is the majestic God before whom we'll be judged. And he says, I'm telling you, I saw that he was the God before whom we would be judged when I was on the holy mountain with him, and he is the God that before whom we're going to be judged. And we didn't make it up. Some of you might be fans of blue-collar comedy, and you've heard one of those guys go tell a funny story that happened to him. He goes, hey, you can't make this stuff up. Peter's saying it in a much more serious tone, but that's what he's trying to say. Is He's saying, quote, I'm credible. I can't make this stuff up. I didn't make it up. It isn't a clever story from some preacher who's just trying to use a fancy illustration to get you to think spiritually the way he wants you to think. This really happened. He's really God. There, I'm about to die. Before I die, I'm going to get some more words out of my heart to you. This is the God before whom we, have, before whom we all have to do. Now I'm, going to, I'm just going to kind of sew that point up. 
you Americans have all these voices in the dark place in which we live in our affluent society and the dark voices that are always saying, religion is a matter of your own personal choice. Well, of course, as Americans and honoring the human spirit, freedom of conscience, it is your own choice. But that's only half the story. If you choose to stay in New Orleans, you'll die. So if you were, if you were running through the streets of New Orleans and you were trying to say, Katrina is coming, and someone said, don't shove that down my throat, you'd say, let me just say it one more time, Katrina is coming, a big storm, bigger than we've ever had in New Orleans, you're going to die if you stay, don't shove that, okay, then I'll move on to somebody else, but you're not thinking they made a very good choice, you'll honor their right to make it, and what I'm worried about is that us Americans that are Christians, my flock, your flock, will make all of these people preaching to us that there's lots of different choices that will be silent about the only good choice that anyone could make, and that's to listen to Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't let people trying to force us to be nice in their mind and respecting that there are a lot of choices make us be silent. Be respectful. Be humble. But be honest. This is credible history about the incredible God, the only wise God before whom everybody must give an account. And what did he do? This is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. He put it all on that son. And he sacrificed that son for us. And that son did it willingly. And that son who will judge us didn't want us to be judged, so he took it himself. But imagine what it will be like for the, the hundreds, maybe I could say thousands of parents and teachers in high schools and colleges, universities, who have taught class after class that came through their school. It's really just a myth. These are made-up stories that are the interpretations of their times from religious groups. People always do that throughout history. And Jesus is just a, an idea. There may have been a real Jesus somewhere, but this is what they, in their traditions that you want to honor, they want you to think. But you know, it's maybe not, it's probably not truth, right? Imagine them standing before God and all of those who listen to them on the last day and that's when they find out, oh, it was really real. It wasn't just made up. Um, I live in the cocoon as a pastor, so I hang out with you guys that believe more than I do with people that don't. But when I get on a plane or venture out to go talk to people in our community, and that isn't infrequent, I'll ask, what do you think about the claims of Jesus Christ? Usually it's after a lot of small chat and they find out you're a preacher. So then they think, well, he's going to talk about it. Might as well let him, right? What do you think about the claims of Jesus Christ? I'd say more than, in the last 10 years, more than 20 times I've heard, I, don't, I really don't believe that he is the Messiah, that the Jews or the Christians would say that he was. I, don't, I just believe he was a great man.
Can you be silent if that's said to you? No. Because what did Bartholomew say your weapon was? Love. You cannot love someone and be silent when they say that. Well, I don't want you to be threatened or mad at them or anything. I want you to love them. Love them enough to say, can I just tell you why? I believe that he's more than that. And then tell them about the credible eyewitnesses that experienced him. And throughout their entire life and at the very end, they made it their last statement that he was the God before him because they had seen his glory and seen him risen from the dead and knew that he was the Savior of the world. And that the eyewitnesses are what you, or is one thing that helps you believe in him and you'd like for your friend to believe in that too. If they say, I don't believe what you're saying, what have you lost? But what have they gained? They have gained words that they cannot take away. They're in their computer, in their brain, in their heart. And they'll be with them the rest of their life. I met someone who believed, right? Peter, in writing this, had a second very important thing to tell us to make us believe more. So today's about urgency and building up your faith and helping you help other people believe. And here's the second thing. It's in the second paragraph. The dark place he's talking about is where we live on earth with all the voices I talked about. Now watch this. As soon as I find my eyeballs. Are they in my pocket? I've got to find my glasses. I can read the screen. Go to the next one. We, y'all read this with me. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What made Peter write that? Remember what I said in the first paragraph that he was used to people being skeptic about his eyewitness? And he said, I didn't make it up. He's used to people saying, you're making that up. So before he dies, he said, we didn't make it up. Well, he's used to people saying, you know that Bible, Peter? Peter's a little, he grew up a little Jewish boy in the Jewish synagogue with the Old Testament. They didn't call it Old Testament, it was the Bible. And what did they learn? In the, when they gathered on Saturday, like we are today on Sunday, what did they learn? Messiah's coming. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that, that Chad read. They would read that in Hebrew. Messiah's coming. He's going to be born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, come in on a donkey. He's going to be stricken, smitten by God. We'll think he suffers for himself, but he's going to suffer for us. And they weren't always right about what, how they interpreted the passage, but they were trying to share it. Peter grew up with all that. And why did he write this? Because people like Pontius Pilate, when he said to Jesus, what is truth? People in that Roman Greek society were saying to the disciples, your book is just an interpretation of the world through Jewish eyes. You can see it in Acts when the, when the officials, the Jews drag the Christians before the officials, and what do they say? I'll go 
judge this among yourselves at the synagogue. You Jews are always trying to talk about theology. We don't want to deal with it. They put down Jews and Christians as if our book was just a religious interpretation out of the mind and heart, the ingenuity of prophets, that that they were just interpreting their times through their own paradigm. And what does Peter say here? No prophecy of Scripture had its origin in the prophet. And he goes, no, they had to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know what it means to be carried along? Right? That's when you've got a a little boy or girl in your house, and you say, it's time to go to bed, and you're big enough to carry them. And they say, I'm not going to go. And you say, well, you have two choices. You can walk upstairs and get ready for bed, and I'll help you, or I'll carry you upstairs, and I'll get you ready for bed, and I'll help you. That's what God did to Moses. Burning bush. Moses, go and get my people and tell them that I sent you. Well, I don't really want to go. Well, I'll carry you then, right? He carried him along, right? Jonah, go to Nineveh and save those rascals who've been scaring the whole planet, the Assyrians. Well, I don't really want to go. Well, then I'll have a fish swallow you. And he'll vomit you back up on shore, and then we'll talk again. Right? Amos, I want you to go to Jerusalem and talk to the hard-hearted Jewish leaders. I'm not a priest. My daddy's not a preacher, and I never wanted to be a preacher. That's okay. I want you to go. That's what Amos told his people. He goes, I wasn't a preacher's kid, and I'm not a preacher, but I was raising goats and sheep, and God came and got me and said, go be a prophet. Right? I can tell you more stories. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, others. Peter remembered those stories. Peter goes, look at all the stories I heard in the synagogue were not prophets interpreting their times. They were men who were carried along and filled by the Holy Spirit to say things that even we didn't understand. In 1 Peter, he goes, they didn't understand what they were saying and until, until the Holy Spirit came, we didn't understand what they were saying. And he says here, it's completely reliable now because the Greek's a little more clear. It's completely reliable, that first line there up there, the 19th, second line. These messages are completely reliable. What is, you might remember, if some of you really have been into this passage before, it says, we have the word of the prophets made more certain in the old translations. They're made more certain because Peter got to see them come true. So Peter goes, I grew up hearing the prophets' prophecies about the Christ, and then in my life, I saw them fulfilled. So what he's saying is it's like a person walking on two legs. They're reliable. If I was up here and I said, you know, I'm going to make it all the way back to Art Mickle right now on one leg. First of all, I don't think I'll make it. But I'm a pitiful sight walking on the leg, aren't I? It's not reliable and my knee's already hurting. And I've gone four hops. But on two feet, very stable, right? We have the word of the prophets, one leg. We have the eyewitnesses, Peter, the other leg. They make this truth more reliable. The meteorologist Robert Ricks knew meteorology. He's not just some guy looking up at the clouds going, that's going to be a big one. We better run. No, he had all the truth 
about storms, right? And all of the, the planes that had flown over it. And the satellite pictures of the eye. He knew exactly when it was going to go landfall. All his friends in the business helped him, right? And he said, it's reliable truth. What is Peter saying? Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's reliable truth. You've got prophecy and you've got eyewitnesses. First of all, I say this so you will go to heaven. Because I'm afraid the devil's going to take some of you to hell with the darkness that's out there in this dark place. And until Jesus comes and the light of heaven comes, you've got to look at this light I'm telling you about because that's what Peter said. It's a light shining in a dark place with all the dark voices. What? Prophecy and fulfillment. Secondly, I want you to take some people to heaven with you. And so does God. I get to ride in planes next to people that you don't get to ride next to, but you get to ride in planes and go to work and talk to people in your neighborhood and your family that I don't get to talk to. And you are just as accountable to get them out of New Orleans as I am. There's another guy in the story. By now you're getting the name Robert Ricks. His name is Jabbar Gibson. He was a 21-year-old, small-time drug pusher in New Orleans when these messages of Katrina's about to come landfall came through the 15th Ward where he lived. And if a drug dealer is anything, he's, he's, got, he's creative, and he's got ingenuity, and he's got initiative. And people were running, and officials were running, and everyone was trying to leave, and there was gridlock. And a lot of people were scared and didn't know what to do. So he and his buddies went down to the local school bus yard that had been abandoned. They climbed the fence, broke into the office, and found all the keys to the school buses. And they started trying them on buses. A couple of them went and got some gas cans and started siphoning out of their, I don't know if it was the, 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 the word I read, didn't say if they had permission or not, other people's cars getting some gas. But they worked for an hour before Jabbar got the first bus, you know, key to, to line up with the bus and got it to start, and there was a full tank of gas in it. And they blew through the gates, and they went to their wards, and he went to the 15th ward, and he went to his homies. And I'm not talking about drug deals. I'm talking about his parents, his cousins, his friends, his family, everybody. And he said, as many as we can get on the bus, let's go, because Katrina is coming. And he is a local hero for having led that group and saved a lot of people with that effort with those school buses. Several of the buses got started in the next hour and a half, got loaded and got people out of there before all those houses were flooded and then and blown down. Today, Jabbar is in jail for other crimes he committed later. And what I'm trying to tell you by sharing all of that with you is that even a drug dealer knows how to love when the big one is coming. And Jabbar isn't any worse than you are, and he's not any better, because you're a sinner. You're a sin pusher. But you can still save people, because it's not about you and your righteousness, is it? You're forgiven. So is Jabbar. He is still the guy that saved all those people. Because he believed the message. 
Do you believe the message? That Jesus Christ is God who saved us? Then be like Bartholomew, the guy we saw in the film. And don't let anyone intimidate you with skepticism or embarrassing comments. Don't be weird for weird's sake. But just know, sometimes when you believe the gospel and want to share it, it'll feel weird to them right before they get on the bus. And then they get on the bus and they understand. We got to save them. We got to tell our kids, our grandkids, our friends, our neighborhood. When I moved here 24 years ago, they said the greater Austin area was 600,000 people. Today they say it's 2.2 million. They're our homies. We got to talk about Jesus. Amen.